grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon.
to a secluded place and rest a while. While there, for there were so many people coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. That they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. But many people saw them leave and knew where they were going. They ran there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When Jesus stepped out of the boat, he saw a large crowd. His heart went out to them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, When God gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, the only set of commandments he gave that he actually wrote with his own finger, the rest were all dictated to Moses, was actually the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were a summary of God's moral law, which he intended for all people for all times. This moral law and this summary of it, God didn't give it to them with the command, do it or else. In fact, he opens with the words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He wants them to follow these commandments out of fear for the Lord, but not simply out of fear because they're afraid of God, but out of fear in the sense that they're afraid of hurting him. Because this is the God who not only made us, this is the God who saved us and rescued us. And it is for that very reason that we too obey God's holy commands, especially those Ten Commandments. We obey them knowing that this is the God who rescued us from the land of slavery because we are slaves to sin and will take us to the promised land of heaven because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Out of the Ten Commandments, eight of them will say, you shall not. Two of them you would expect, if they're going to be positive, that they would say, you shall, but they don't. It's actually a Hebrew word that is how we translate or is translated in English as in an imperative. Now an imperative in English is always used in two ways. It can be used as a command, and since we're talking about the Ten Commandments, it makes sense that you would use the imperative. But the imperative can also be used as an invitation. We call it a gospel invitation in the Bible. And notice that the two commandments that start out with that imperative, that invitation, is the third and fourth commandment. The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. Why the invitation, especially on the third commandment? He's not just simply commanding you to remember the Sabbath day, but he's inviting you to remember the Sabbath day and to remember it out of fear of the Lord. Why the Sabbath day? Why using those words? Well, those words immediately reminds us of when God on the seventh day rested. He didn't rest because he was tired of creating. He rested 
because he stopped creating out of nothing. He will continue to preserve and protect what he created. But this act of creating out of nothing ended, and on the seventh day he rested. In the third commandment then, it was God's invitation to invite all to rest. You see, days one through five he would call good. Day six, with the making of mankind, along with the land animals, he would call it very good. But on the seventh day he would call it holy. So which day stood out, good, very good, or holy? Clearly holy. And this was a day that the Lord would specifically say that he wanted his people to actually physically rest. But not simply as a day off. That physical rest meant that they would gather together around God and his holy word. So it was also a spiritual rest. Being comforted with the peace that can only come from God. So this physical rest and the spiritual rest actually comes up in our text. As Jesus himself spoke of rest for the 12 apostles. Now when you think of our text, I would invite you to think of it like an Oreo cookie, but not just any Oreo cookie. This is the double stuffed Oreo cookie. Because right our, our stuffing here, these verses, five verses, are really the, the gooey inside that is delicious and great. And, and on the outside is the beautiful hard cookie. So the words before this is, is Jesus sending out his 12 apostles to go and do missionary work. He sends them out two by two with specific instructions on what to do and what to say. Right after our text comes another hard cookie and another major event. In fact, it is such a powerful event that we actually have, for the first time, all four gospel writers describing this event. It is the feeding of the 5,000 families, which means he fed anywhere from 10, 12, maybe 15,000 people with just a handful of fish and bread. It was truly a miracle, especially when they collected 12 basketfuls of leftover pieces. Right in the middle is this event, a double stuffing because we hear about this physical and spiritual rest. After the disciples came doing their missionary work, you would have explained, you would have expected that they would have come with all kinds of excitements, probably telling about all the statistical reports of all that happened and how many were saved and, and, and how many they you know, brought into the church. But here we're told that they reported on what they had done and what they had taught. In English, it sounds like it's all one and the same. Actually, in the original language, the report had two parts, because in the original language, it really divides the two. They reported on what they had done, practiced, and they reported on what they taught. Well, what they had done, you would think that, why report on it? You did what Christ told you to do. And why would you report on what you would teach? Because you taught what Christ taught you to teach. 
but they came to make sure, knowing that they were held accountable to God, that they would share with him what they did and what they taught. They wanted to make sure that what they were doing, even though they were instructed by the Lord, that what they were doing was correct and acceptable in the sight of our Lord. We usually always preach and teach that the Bible is the only rule for faith and life. So even though we may not have, like the apostles did, the presence of the Lord, but, that, but we do have the presence of the Lord in the sense of his holy word. So everything we do, everything we teach, it must be in connection with God's holy word, knowing that we too are held accountable to God, knowing that we check with his holy word. Because what really matters is what he tells us to do and what he has instructed us to do. His holy word is not only the rule for faith and life, but you could honestly say it is the rule for what we do and what we teach. There was a problem. When the disciples came back, it was not with what they taught and did. It was not even the number of people that were coming to the house of Jesus at Capernaum. It became like a, a headquarters, and many people were coming and going. The problem was, is it got so busy that the apostles weren't even able to eat. And so Jesus says something very remarkable. He says, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. Many people, um, and you'll see this with many commentators and scholars, they will take these words and say this is clearly a proof passage for vacations and the need for vacations, especially a need for vacations for pastors because that way a pastor can go on vacation, get away a little bit. I've heard people over the years say that way the pastor can be refreshed so when he comes back he'll be eager and, and willing to work and work even harder. But is that what really happened here? Notice that Jesus took them by themselves, went to a secluded place. I read commentators who said, see, he didn't take them to a resort. No, he took them to a secluded place because they were getting away from the towns and villages. Jesus was getting away from all the people, not because he didn't want to minister to them, because he clearly wanted someone on one-on-one on one with his disciples. He did this several times. He would pull them and take them by themselves. It's not a surprise that, that the people, when they saw Jesus leave, would run to the other side and, and wait for him. How much ministry took place even in that boat? We know from one of the other Gospels that when they got to this secluded, secluded place that they actually went up on a hill and it was, again, just Jesus and the apostles. It makes clear sense that Jesus would do this because these would be the religious leaders who would continue the ministry and the preaching of the truth and the word after Jesus ascended back into heaven. It would be on these apostles along with the prophets of old that the church foundation would be built with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. 
So I don't look upon these words as simply Jesus inviting them for vacation time, but really inviting them to have some one-on-one -on -one time sitting at his feet and hearing his word and how special that is. Please, my friends, don't fall into Satan's trap of thinking that when I go on vacation, I need to take a vacation from God's word. I need to take a vacation from gathering together with other believers around God's word. Or I need to take a vacation from prayer. I need to kind of renew myself so then I'll come back and feel more refreshed. Rest doesn't come from vacation time. How many of you went on vacation and was glad to come back so you could finally get some rest? No. True rest is certainly sitting at the feet of Jesus. He had them take some physical rest, but not at the expense of the spiritual rest. Even on vacation, don't take it from God ever. But even on vacation, make it possibly an opportunity to even be more in the Word or more in prayer or more in being alone with the Lord and all that he has to say in his holy word. The disciples, after they left with Jesus and went to that secluded place, the people did see them leave. And many people from the towns and villages came out and actually got there ahead of time before Jesus even reached that area with his apostles. It says here they stepped out of the boat and then Jesus saw them. In another gospel, it actually says Jesus saw them when he was up on the hill. I see no controversy here at all because in order for Jesus to be up on the hill, he had to step out of the boat. So whether it was immediate or up on the hill, it makes no difference. He saw the crowd. And what is important is what he saw when he looked at the crowd. He is the very Son of God, our Savior, who can read people's hearts. And the hearts that he saw were sheep without a shepherd. They were helpless. They were hopeless. They were lost. These people needed a shepherd, not simply as a guide. They needed a shepherd who would rescue them from the slavery of sin and the fear of death and hell. And what did Jesus give them? These sheep without a shepherd. All we're told here is he began to teach them many things. We're not told what those things were, but knowing what Jesus had instructed his disciples, knowing what Jesus had taught over and over again, which was exactly the same message that John the Baptist taught over and over again, these many things could be summed up in one word. Repentance. They were always sent out to declare the message of repentance. And repentance, to me, is one of the most gorgeous words in Scripture because it sums up perfectly the two main teachings of the Bible, which is the law and the gospel. The message of the law that shows us our sins and ultimately a need for a Savior. But the very law which brings us to the knees and causes our very hearts to cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. is really the first part of 
repentance. Because we always say repentance is sorrow over sin. But the heart of repentance is the next part, the gospel, which shows us our Savior and salvation and the hope that we have in him who paid for our sins and, and, and won for us the forgiveness of sins, who, who, who conquered death and rose again. And because he lives, we too have everlasting life. We live knowing that we live forever in heaven. All because of Jesus, our Savior. So the second part, really the heart of repentance, is faith. Faith, trusting in the very thing that our Savior has done for us. Trusting in that forgiveness of sins. That's repentance. That's the message he taught them. And now, because of that message, they had a shepherd, which means no more being helpless, hopeless, and lost. Notice that Jesus didn't go and conduct a survey. He didn't go and see what did people really want? What are they really looking for? What is it going to take to get people to come to church? We need to offer those things, and, and then people will come, and then they will want to come. What is the latest trends? What is the latest excitement going on? Jesus didn't do any of that. Of course, he's the Son of God. He could read their hearts. He knew exactly what they needed. He didn't ask them what they needed. He gave them what they needed. And dear friends, the heart of our ministry is not trying to figure out what people might want. The heart of the ministry is giving people what they absolutely need. And everyone needs the very thing you and I need. We need Jesus Christ. We need our Savior, who is, without a doubt, our great shepherd, or as it's beautifully put in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want because with him I truly have everything. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.